everybody. Welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home. And today we're going to be talking about personality types and how that affects our behavior and the ways we interact with other people. And my guest today is Nika Smessert from Vet Tech Coach Dog Training. She's also a licensed vet tech. Um, she and I are going to be talking about personality types and how that's affected her work and the choices she's made as she's moved along through this. So welcome, Nika. Hi, it's nice to be here. I think this is such an interesting topic, and it's one that you brought up when we were having a conversation. You said, talking about the personality traits, and that even within animals, you see ranges of behavior that can be defined as introversion or extroversion and some of those traits. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've seen that? So um, I, I tend to see it most, or I at least I recognize it most in my puppy classes, I think, because I can see from a very young age, puppies are... Um, you know, I call them social butterflies, you know, mm-hmm. you, you get your, your golden retriever your, or your retriever, I guess I just should say. Um, and it's mixed with someone that I can tell is a very structured person, mm-hmm. um, very much kind of rule orientated and, and saying to me, well, I put the plan in place that you said last week about potty training and he's still peeing on the floor. And I'm like, oh, I probably should have told you. It's not like instantaneous. I can pick it out, of course, in uh, behavior modification cases too, where they want to modify the dog almost to be a different dog in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I sort of have to coach them into a direction that leads them into some of this is normal for that dog. Right. So, Yeah, I've definitely seen that too. Within the traits... I have a dog who I adopted really hoping that he was going to be my preschool demo dog. And he loves people. He totally loves people one-on-one individually in our home. You know, come and visit. He's thrilled. But he doesn't want to go to preschool and do that. He gets his energy a little bit slower, a little bit different ways. And the last dog thought the preschool visits were a party thrown in his honor. He was always delighted. Yay, you came for me. Awesome. And so we sometimes put ourselves and our animals into situations that aren't right for our personality type. And in a work environment, like an animal hospital, we have lots of people, lots of personality types, sometimes knowing a little bit about our own traits, and then recognizing traits in other people can be extremely helpful. Have you found that? Oh, for sure. So I was lucky enough to work at a clinic owned by a female, uh, which is awesome in and of itself. Um, I worked for her for many years, uh, over 20 years, and I was lucky enough to work for her. And she is forward thinking enough that she really understood that well, number one, she didn't want to have to do the, I guess the grunt work. She didn't want to have to do interpersonal issues between you and another employee or why are you not arriving on time and all of that. So that was one piece that led her down the road of wanting people to be more self-sufficient. I was there when it all started. It started with getting us together into teams and not so much into separate groupings. So we were in teams and then it really manifested later as we literally were all, we weren't even lumped into front end, back end anymore. So there wasn't that divide between front end, back end or doctor end, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, clearly we knew that they were the doctors and, and they were the, <laughs> the bosses, you know, air quotes. But um, through personality typing of our own, we learned not only a little bit about a lot about ourselves and why maybe we did things the way that we did things, but also how to 
approach others in a way that helps them be their best self. Mm-hmm. Um, the the most important one, I think, I think in veterinary medicine we have a lot of um, feelers. So um, the, not so much the thinking side, but the feeling side. They make decisions based on how they're feeling, mm-hmm. um, and that's what makes this profession really great. I think. Um, but I think that there are, uh, among those, there are, are introverts and extroverts, and, and, and each of them deal with situations very differently. So over the years, we really learned that introverts don't really want to make a decision right now. So you bring them a problem, and you almost need to say, you know, <laughs> I think we called it like dive bombing them, you know, here's the thing, I'll talk to you later about it, mm-hmm. so that they had that opportunity to we and we called it to eye it, the eyes could eye it. And, um, and then come back and have a really thoughtful conversation and feel comfortable expressing themselves. I think, a lot of introverts may not participate in staff meetings as much because they need time to think about an answer. They need time to think about the process. They need time to think about the problem before they can give a really thoughtful answer. So again, I was lucky enough to work in a place that was um, very aware of those things. We would take time. So if you brought a problem to the table at a staff meeting, we would say, okay, we'll talk about it next month when the eyes have had a chance to eye it. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I think is great as an I. Um, I think it's really great because we get into situations sometimes where people want quick decisions and you make one, but then your brain thinks about things later and says, oh, here's so much more nuance that I would have liked to have brought to the discussion, but wasn't prepared to do at that moment. So what are you willing to tell us what your type is and and what that means? Sure. I am an ESFP, which apparently my personality type uh, is all about fun. I work to have fun. I think that that showed a lot in in my clinic setting, too. I love to, you know, sing and dance or make a little joke or whatever during that clinic setting. Um, But also it showed in staff meetings, too, where when the tension was high, I was the girl that, you know, would like, hey, remember, you know, remember we tried this a long time ago and it did that. So I think that for my clinic, because we were so open uh, to the idea of it and and it was always stated, always stated that it explains behavior, it does not excuse behavior. So just because I'm an SP and and maybe I'm supposed to mm-hmm. be the late girl and this, I smelled the flowers and the shiny penny was over there and I got distracted and I'm late, that's not an acceptable yeah. behavior. <laughs> so it wasn't just like, well, you're an SP, so that's what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I think it's a really important point. I mean, we want to set people up for success and not just give them a crutch for, well, sorry, didn't didn't do the expected behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. So did you have an understanding of your personality type before this work was done at the clinic? I mean, you always knew you were the fun person, but did you know, you know, how that fit together or did learning did about not. it open your eyes to a few different traits? <laughs> It did. And of course, true to type, I did not want to be put into a box. I was not going to be put into, I am not an SP. I am not. Um, I didn't want to be put into a box. And um, I was I was the most resistant one to it in the very beginning. I didn't care about taking the test so much, but 
everybody has traits of all of them. Right. So, and that was, I guess, my hang up in the beginning. Like there are times I, I want to sit and, and quiet. Mm-hmm. I, I turn the radio off in my car cause I need quiet. Um, and I'm a total extrovert, but there are sometimes I do need that. Once I got into my marriage or that relationship was blossoming, <laughs> I really realized how important that was. And I honestly say this, I really think that it was been the key to maintaining our marriage because I get him on a different level. And, mm-hmm. and again, it doesn't excuse his behavior, but it does explain why. And so I don't take it personally. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I, of course, I mean, we still have the same discussions that every other married couple has, but I don't take it personally, but I understand that why he does it the way he does it. So and that's hugely freeing, isn't it? The <laughs> not taking it personally and yeah. just understanding this behavior isn't about me. And yes. so often in life, <laughs> we take things personally. When someone does mm-hmm. things in a way that doesn't doesn't suit our traits, yes. we get yes. frustrated. And why don't you understand what that does to me? And right. it can be forgotten and lost in translation. And certainly in a work environment, particularly in any sort of high stress stakes where mm-hmm. the work just keeps coming and you're not getting to take the breaks and all of the things just keep building and building and building and building and your style is different than mine, well, you're just wrong. <laughs> just clearly, right. the way you do right. it is wrong. And so yep. being able to to take a step back and seeing that, I imagine is very, very helpful. So yes. obviously most clinics don't do personality typing on all of their employees. But if you were to say to someone that if he or she personally wanted to become more aware of their own behavior, how it affects what they think and do, and how they perceive others, what would your suggestions be for getting started on learning a little bit more about that? Well, I love, I'm most familiar and I love Myers-Briggs because I think there's a broader picture with Myers-Briggs and some of the other ones who sort of have less categories. Um, And I think it does, it takes a lot of time. I think the first part is sort of like, okay, learning about yourself, that helps it's really tough to learn the bigger picture about all of them individually, but starting with what is the real differences between extrovert and introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and along with that, uh, understanding that number one, people can operate differently in their personal life than their professional life. And number two, as, as humans, we all learn what is more socially acceptable. So for instance, um, I am supposed to be a fly by the seat of my pants kind of a girl and you know, I'm supposed to be late or whatever. But in my own business, that's not going to go over very well. So I've learned coping skills. I keep a very regimented calendar because I am inclined to sort of maybe be a fly by the seat of my pants kind of a girl. So if you understand the bigger picture of the main categories, it's now easier for me to help my clients because I can pick out at least pieces of their personality to cater to. So if I'm seeing a a client who I can tell is very regimented, I'm going to make a very, very detailed treatment plan as opposed to someone, if I can tell they're a little bit more like me and a little bit more fluid, I'm going to make it a little more loose and allow them some creativity within their plan Mm -hmm. to work through some of the things. So um, I think that's been really beneficial for me anyway, is to use it in my personal life with my children and my husband, (laughs) 
but in my professional life too. And I, I think too, another piece of personality typing, again, I said, you know, it explains behavior. It doesn't excuse it. Stress changes everything. Oh yeah. We have had enough education within the clinic setting to know when people are acting out of their type. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been what they call shoved out of type, um, whether it be changes within the hospital or personal changes in their own lives. Um, they can do things that are totally not explained by their regular personality. But the great thing about that is we can pick up on that almost instantly. Whoa, that was really out of character for her. She never yells. She never cusses or whatever it is. She must be really stressed. And so then you take a pause instead of like, I can't believe she did that. You take a pause and go, wow, she must be really dealing with something. And then later go to that person and say, hey, is everything okay? Yeah. Because that was really out of character for you. And I think recognizing when something is out of character for someone allows us to have a moment of grace with it. Where it yeah. just sort of say, that is not what I was expecting. And that whole kind of permission to be human. Wow, something <laughs> is going on there. Let me let that happen because that happened. And yes. then I'll go back later and, and look at that a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, I imagine that was a really very helpful to the health of the community within the staff that didn't come out quite as clearly as it is in my head but you know the cohesiveness the way that everyone works together on the team at the animal hospital so what do you think the downsides would be of of being aware of some of these personality traits um we had had some down instances i will say where people did sort of use it as a crutch instead of an opportunity for growth. Again, I I used myself as an example, you know, I'm supposed to be a late person or whatever, but that's not really an excusable way to be in a clinic setting nor owning your own business either. But um, I I can think of a very specific instance. Uh, One of the veterinarians was, again, very amazing veterinarian, but because she was a, a P and inclined to sort of like fly by the seat of her pants, at the end of the day, all of a sudden, all these, you know, maybe patients that were there had all these treatments to do when we could have done them at four o'clock. And mm-hmm. now here we are, it's 530. We're all ready to go home. And she just unloaded a bunch of things she wants done before we go home for the day. That is frustrating for someone who is a staff member who, you know, whether you have a family or not, you're kind of like, I, I would like to get out of here sometimes on time. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, and then to have that done repeatedly, that clinic is so great because they really tried to come up with systems for people. Mm -hmm. We came up with a whiteboard system for the technicians because each of us did operate a little bit differently in terms of technicians. So, and they really, really tried to get her some extra help and get her to be a little bit more self-aware. And it just really, after, you know, several years of trying, it just really wasn't attaching. It just really wasn't making the connection. And so she did kind of go on her way. I can just think of that as something very specific. And I also think in our setting where the veterinarians even encourage you to be really a, a responsible for yourself mm-hmm. as well as your coworker. If your coworker's coming in five minutes late every day, it's your responsibility to talk to that coworker and say, you know, you're kind of putting an extra burden on me. When new people come in, it's a bit hard for them to get a hold of. They're really used to 
going to tell the manager, so-and-so, blah, 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 that they don't want to deal with the conflict on their own. That's been the biggest struggle all along is, is conflict res- resolution when it's not necessarily anybody's job right. to say, Susie, you're late, but it's affecting me, so now it's my job, but I don't really want to because mm-hmm. I'm not a conflict person. So that's something that we still struggle with. Which I think is a really interesting and very, very valid point because there are so many interpersonal conflicts where we would really like it addressed (laughs) by someone else. Yes. (laughs) Like, I do not want to tell her that her coming in late is making me insane, but she needs Mm -hmm. to stop coming in late. So we'll just have the boss do that. But realistically, in life, if something is affecting us, if we can find some of the the right ways to say it, and often people aren't really thinking about the effects of it. I have a tendency to do one more thing before I rush out the door. I'm the queen of one more thing. So I could find myself in a situation where I was late. I'm pretty good about not doing it because I am so careful about not wanting to be imposing on anyone, but I'm pretty much cruising in right on time many times. Mm-hmm. Never is it intended as a personal insult or, you know, you'll pick up the slack for me or any of that kind of thing. But for yes. someone to say, oh, this behavior makes me feel like you don't respect my time or you don't think it's important or you're not caring that the rest of us are, are doing this for you would stop someone in their tracks. Yes. And being able to articulate that for ourselves is a skill worthy of cultivating. I think it's something that we all need to grow up and grow into to be able to say, this is a problem for me. Right. And I will say that uh, from my perspective, just my personality type, I don't want to be late because of my F. (laughs) I don't want to hurt your feelings. Right. If somebody else is a T personality, you know, where they're not making decisions based on their feelings, that's not their motivation to not be late. Something else might be their motivation, but that's my motivation. Right. That's because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, That's a real interesting thing because... We do need to learn to advocate for ourselves in ways that doesn't make other people crazy. And so having some understanding of our own traits and what we do and why we do it, and then other people, whether they're similar to us or different, being able to identify that and recognize that is a very, very valuable thing. So within the clinic environment, tell me about how the teams worked, where you said that you sort of created teams based on some of what you learned through this. So in the beginning, it was teams um, because it was a, a stair step to a process. She she wanted to go straight, no boss. <laughs> and we're all like, huh? wait, what? <laughs> um, so, so the teams was a way to still come together. Gossiping was a no-go. You, right. you can't just go around and gossip. Oh, did you see what Susie came in late? Blah, blah, blah. Nope. Urgh, nope. So as a team, though, you could get together and say, okay, having a problem with people maybe not showing up exactly on time. Da, 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 da. So that was sort of a stepping stone to then the, the final process, which was no sort of bosses, no sort of teams. Now, what we found, so we went to then no teams, nothing at all. What we found was we did need a grouping of people to handle uh, much more intense stuff. So for example, uh, we, we had a chronic 
person who was chronically late. And despite putting in options for this person that we still couldn't get them on time. So somebody does need to handle that. Right. I mean, at some point. And so, you know, she was like, oh, that grouping of people is voted on every two years. So not you don't get a whole new three every two years. They rotate in and out so that there's still that uh, group that knows what they're doing. Um, and then we also do have what many people would call an office manager, uh, but but she, she is not. She is not the rule maker at all. But she is, you know, sort of like the mom. Um, the lights out in the hallway. She's going to call the electrician. You know, those types of things. She does payroll. Obviously, someone needs to do that. So um, we do have that um, option there. And the the female uh, veterinarian owner. She um, is always willing to talk, especially new people, I think that really aren't used to that system to talk them through. She, as a matter of fact, tries to make it a priority to take them within their first several months of working there, take them out to lunch Mm -hmm. so that they can really have a more intimate conversation about, you know, how really is the system working for you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they can feel a little bit more like exposing themselves a little bit and maybe being a little bit more raw to her. So I think that sounds great. So tell me a little bit about the team of three who handles the things that have to be handled. Was it just three staff members in any job that that would be, did you say voted on? Is that how? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Um, The staff votes on them. Um, And they have to have been there for at least a year, which uh, I think that's important. Um, They can't be on any side of probation for like tardies or anything like that. Um, And they do like to have one person from each section so that each section is kind of represented. You wouldn't want all receptionists on there. Um, So there's a, what they call a front end person and a back end person. And then there's an at large person and that can be anybody. And they try to get doctors on there as much as they can. um, But we're down to, uh, well, we just hired a new one, but um, two doctor, well, three, I guess that would be eligible. So they, they're not always going to want to serve which mm-hmm. is fine. The owner doctor uh, is brought in if if really severe, like a like a, you know termination is is being brought up. She is actually involved in that process as well. So they'll bring her in if that is being recommended. Right. I think that's really empowering. I mean, it's just so empowering because it, you know everybody is their own boss and. It's a team of your peers who will finally come down and make a decision. And it's not just the vets or just the owner or just the office manager, someone who has to carry that responsibility with her back and forth every day and feel like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. that's that is a very interesting model. I have not heard of that before. Yeah. And she also the the owner doctor is very much you have this flexibility with clients as well. So if, if you feel like you were inappropriately charged for a nail trim, and it really wasn't done very well, then me as the employee can say, you know what, Mrs. Smith, I'm going to go ahead and I, I'm going to take that off of your account for you. Because, you know, I do see what you're saying, maybe those nails are a little bit longer, and, and we will fix that for you too. And even if you made the wrong decision, let's say, that veterinarian will back you, the the owner doctor. She's she's pretty fascinating. That this lady is 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 pretty good, and I credit her with really being able to do what I do now. She's given me the confidence and the tools to be able to do what I do now. And we could only all be so lucky to have such an inspiring, well, for me, a woman, mm-hmm. but a, a, a human <laughs> in right. our life that lifts us up to the point that maybe you lift them out of the hospital. Yeah, you know. 
I was there for 18 years. So, you know, I owe it all really to her. <laughs> I didn't come in out of tech school. I certainly did not come in this self-aware. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's really awesome. It really is. So tell us a little bit about how um, you transitioned from working in the animal hospital to training. Again, she was always very open to the idea of, of people educating themselves, if, even if it educated them right out the door. And so when I was in tech school, uh, I had a naughty dog and I went to see Dr. Lucer, who's amazing. And then I kind of got in with him a little bit. And then they did years ago, they did this course called the dogs course. And so I went down there and my, you know, my hospital paid for that. And, and then I started doing puppy classes and then I started doing a little bit more, a little bit more. And I initially was doing consults in the clinic, but that did not actually work very well. It was, it's so time consuming for those of you that do behavior modification cases. It is not quick. And when you're the technician on duty, being gone from drawing blood or, you mm-hmm. know, nail trims or whatever it is you have to do for an hour and a half or even an hour, they're, you know, knocking on the door, they're interrupting. And then yeah. so eventually we decided it would actually be better if I did it on my own and took it out of the hospital and gave them an option to refer because then I could do it on my own time. Then as soon as I did that, it was like the explosion happened. And then eventually I I couldn't do it all anymore. I couldn't do the clinic and the business and raise my family too. So I had to choose. And you chose behavior. I did. I did. (laughs) But I think that's really awesome. The growth mindset and people developing into who they really want to be and not feeling trapped. I mean, so many people feel trapped. I'm stuck. There's nothing I can do. And that's absolutely not how you personally feel or how the people at your clinic are treated, which Mm -hmm. obviously those are tied. (laughs) Um, But even if the people at the clinic were treated as if there is no growth mindset, no opportunity, individually, we can make choices that move ourselves forward. So you were gifted with this lovely clinic that empowered and inspired people. But even if someone doesn't have that, even if someone doesn't have a team behind them going, yay, you're awesome, just the way you are, um, what would you say would be some tips to help people sort of understand their own traits and move forward, you know, bringing their best selves to work, using their strengths? Yeah. I think um, one of the things, of course, is self-awareness, where you're at and maybe taking the test and kind of learning a little bit about that. And then maybe just among yourself, just say, I think this person is that. And then gearing how you interact with those people based on what their personality types are. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a big believer in, you know, spilling out kindness wherever you go. I mm-hmm. feel like you get more response that way. And if people see you enjoying, they're going to want to come along. They're Mm going to want to come along into your culture and maybe learn about what you're learning and picking people that maybe would be receptive. Hey, you should take this test. We should talk about it because it's so interesting. It's helped me in my marriage or, you know, whatever it is so that then you can start that. And I I think it's a great investment for a clinic to, to learn more I think the culture has to be there within the clinic. Um, and I think it can spill from the top down. And so if, if the, if from the top down isn't really very receptive to that and they're not receptive to personal growth and change, then it's a tough situation. It it really is. Yeah. Because sometimes we put lip service to changing things, but we don't actually Mm -hmm. want to change things. 
Yeah. Yeah. We mean for think, you, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I think there are a lot of people that, you know, come out even still out of vet school and um, want the, the standard hierarchy. They, they want to tell somebody else what to do. And I don't even mean that in a mean way. I just want to give duties to somebody else and, and maintain what feels normal to me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to grow through that. So, and we've had some come through where um, something as simple as, you know, moving a heavy dog because they're the doctor, they're not helping us. And we're like, oh, 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 I can hardly <laughs> get this dog, you know? And you're like looking at them like, maybe, maybe just help. <laughs> but the culture at our clinic just isn't like that. We're all in it together. And, and we always use the funny joke of, you know, if you see poop on the sidewalk, pick it up. Mm-hmm. It's your job to pick it up. And, but the poop is obviously everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and and several episodes back, I interviewed the CEO of a defense contractor, and he was talking about that that element, the, you know, if you see it, do something about it. Like the problem becomes yours the minute you see the problem. And what strategies are you going to take to resolve this problem? And and that's kind of a theme that you've talked all the way through here where, you know, if your coworker is late, it's not go tell somebody. It's talk to the coworker, And if you see poop mm-hmm. on the sidewalk, pick it up. Yeah. And you see someone struggling to lift a big dog, join in. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So sort of identifying here's, here's an issue. Whose problem is it? Oh, mine. <laughs> There's yes, a- all of us. <laughs> Today, this, this has to be us. So this is awesome. Self-awareness is a lifelong goal. I mean, we're just always learning more about ourselves. But truly, the more we know about ourselves and what we do and why we do it, the more it can help us understand other people, I think, because okay. because honestly, we are a bit of a mystery even to ourselves. So we seem so clear, and then we're like, why did I do that? Or why is this happening? We don't know as much about human behavior as we would like to think we do. Right, right. <laughs> not, not too wise all the time. Yes. So, um, so this has been a really interesting conversation, and I would love to hear from people whose clinics are, are working toward helping people be a little bit more aware of their strengths and their traits and, and how how they work well with each other. So that would be a really great conversation for us to continue. How could listeners reach you or learn more about you and your services? Oh, uh, probably the best way is my website, uh, vettechcoach.com. Email is a great way to get a hold of me. I can do that on the sidelines of the uh, tennis matches or softball games or soccer, (laughs) wherever I'm sitting. Well, I really appreciate you coming on Unleashed today to talk with us a little bit about behavior because, of course, I'm a behavior nerd. I'm always fascinated. So it was really fun talking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. So what do you think? How can knowing a little bit about your personality and the personality of the people you work with help make your days a little bit brighter? How can you use this information? Because that's really what it's all about here on Unleashed at Work and Home, finding little tiny tweaks that we can do that make our days just a little bit brighter. If you're looking for 10 ways to recharge when you don't have time to take a break, that is the free PDF that you can get at ColleenPilar.com slash 10 tips. Everybody needs a break, but sometimes you just don't have time. Why not go check out the PDF and see if you can find some strategies that help make your day just a little bit easier.